Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, well, good morning, everybody. Glad you're here to Liquid Church. We're wrapping up this series called Killing It, and uh, it's really about killing the big P in our lives, which you know stands for pride. And today, I want to begin by showing you a birthday present uh, that I received uh, a couple months ago. Uh, a family friend uh, says, happy birthday, Tim, and she gave me this big box with like a bow. It was very neatly wrapped and everything, she, and she was all excited. She goes, go ahead, open it. You're going to love this. You're going to love it. So I open the box. I un- it's a very long box, and I unwrap it, and it's this. Does anybody know what this is? You guys know, this is not a golf club, okay? This is not, it looks like a golf club. That's my iPhone on the end. It is a selfie stick. And the idea, you may have seen these like around New York City. Tourists use them to take pictures of themselves kind of thing. Uh, And the idea here is that you kind of use this thing to take a close picture of you and all of your friends. So let's do a quick picture, right? We're going to do a selfie. Ready? Everybody to get, oh, I got to turn it around. Hold on. I got to turn it. There we go. There we go. Ready? One, two, three. Killing it. Yeah. Awesome. And I remember seeing this thing for the first time. I saw some tool, you know, at the mall, like taking a picture of himself. And I remember saying to my wife, uh, you know, Carl, if you ever see me using a selfie stick, ask to borrow it and then beat me about the head with it. Because it's so narcissistic. It's like so rude and self-absorbed. So she, I pull this out of the box. My friend goes, the minute I saw it, I thought of you. And I was, <laughs> you know, I get thanks for that. Killing it, Right. Now, before you beat me over the head with this thing, realize I'm not the only one with a selfie problem. Tom Hanks, uh, David Letterman used one uh, recently, okay? They're popping up at award shows with Kevin Hart and other celebrities who are kind of using them. And uh, the trend kind of started at the Oscars last year when Bradley Cooper, if you remember, took that selfie with Elle and all the other Hollywood stars. They didn't have a selfie stick. So like Eliza Minnelli got cut out. She didn't fit in. And some of you are like, if you're over 40, you're like, man, this is just for celebrities and teenagers, you know. Listen, even President Obama got in on the selfie uh, act. Now, listen, when, when POTUS rocks the selfie stick, you know it's official. We're a nation of narcissists, okay? We kind of live in what David Brooks, the New York Times, calls the age of selfie. Our generation does not struggle with self-esteem. Our problem is this, the big P or pride. In fact, social media kind of has upped the ante for the next generation who has an appetite for being friended, for being followed, for being liked, right, or mentioned, or thumbs up. People today talk very, you know, candidly about their building their brand or their platform or, and blowing up, getting more and more followers and friends and fans, and, uh, or visitors to your blog or subscribers to your podcast. Um, you know, some of you text your friends and you're like, oh, go to my Instagram, like my picture. I only need three more likes and I'll have the most likes. And suddenly, you're in this crazy kind of popularity contest with everybody else in the world, and actually no, none of them actually care, right? What is behind that kind of stuff you see on social media? I would suggest it actually is this, pride. Pride is what makes you feel good when you got more likes than him, but now I feel bad because she got more likes than me. That's pride. And that desire for recognition is not new. It's something that begins when we're very, very young, right? What do we say when we're three-year-olds? Mommy and daddy, look at me. Look at me. Watch me, mommy. And it never really goes away. We live for applause. We live for accolades. And whether you want to get, we all have an audience, right? Whether you have an audience at work, people evaluate how you perform, 
or your performance at school. Um, that's why we take snapshots. We project the one, a certain image to the world because we want to be recognized and celebrated. We live for those accolades. And even if you're like, you know, an introvert, listen, there's a little Lady Gaga in all of us, okay? And the problem is, according to the Bible, there's really nothing more toxic to the soul of a Christ follower than the pride of life. Now, let me clarify. The pride of life is not the healthy pride that you like have in your children where you show their picture to other people. It's that ugly pride that causes you to actually yell at your kids because they didn't perform well on the ball field or they should have done better on the test. And why didn't you study? No, our, the Lucas says we get straight A's, that kind of thing. This is not the healthy pride you take in your work, okay? Like, I want to do a good job, you know? It's that ugly pride that causes you to celebrate when a competitor screws up or somebody you work with actually messes up and, and you're like, well, it makes me look a little bit better. It's ugly, you know? And worst of all, pride, we've been saying, it's that thing the Bible says that puffs you up, but in reality squeezes God and others out. It diminishes you because you can't stand when somebody else gets the credit. It's that insidious thing called Ego, which we said, you know what? It stands for that desire to edge God out and take credit for yourself, to steal center stage and really shove God and others to the sidelines. Well, how do you kill your pride for good? Because it's really something we all struggle with, including your pastor. That's why I want to devote three weeks to it because I want you to get in the habit of just kind of calling this thing out and asking God, can you help me with the Holy Spirit? Crucify it with a cross. And today we're going to learn from a master, a Bible a uh, character known as John the Baptist, who teaches us how do you snap that selfie stick <laughs> and take pleasure in what you were made for, which is humbly serving other people and giving credit where it belongs, and that's to God alone. Now, quick show of hands. John the Baptist. How many of you have heard of John the Baptist before? Raise your hand if, you, if you've... Okay, just look around, okay? Just take a look around, right? The point is this. John the Baptist is famous. John is well-known, okay? Everyone, even if you don't know, like, all his details, he's this key figure in history. He didn't even have a Twitter account, and you already know about him. That's amazing, okay? Here's a question for you, okay? Even if you're not a Christian, how many of you think that 2,000 years from now, people are going to be talking about you? 200 years from now, they're going to talk about your name. We're going to have a group, you know, they're going to be talking about, you know, <laughs> 20 years from now? My point is, John the Baptist was well-known, not just in his day, but his role and reputation in the Bible is hugely significant. And I picked John the Baptist to kind of wrap up this series because I think he models for us this kind of radical counterculture humility that can change your life. Even though God chose him to play a starring role in advancing the gospel, introducing people to Jesus Christ, John the Baptist models this attitude, this humble perspective that every Christ follower needs to internalize if you're going to be useful to God long term. And John's attitude towards Jesus is profoundly simple. It goes like this, ready? He is greater than me. Can everybody say this? He, Jesus, is greater than me. That's the title of today's message, He Greater Than Me. And that's the big idea that John's going to teach us in his relationship with Jesus Christ. So we put some notes in your program today. You can take those out or a Bible. I want to look quickly at the Gospel of, of John. And this is chapter 3 of our main passage, which says this. After this, Jesus and his disciples, his followers, went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them. And what did he do? He baptized. And it says, now John, this is John the Baptist, also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. 
an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. You can just kind of pause here because this is a new thing in history. John the Baptist is the first person that we've ever seen in recorded history to baptize another person. In other words, he would take them into the water, in this case the Jordan River, immerse them and raise them up as a symbol of dying to an old way of life, coming alive to their faith. And up to this point in history, there was only ceremonial washing that the Jews did. In other words, they baptized themselves. If you were a non-Jew and you wanted to you know, embrace the Jewish faith, you would get into the water yourself and you'd actually dip yourself. That's what baptism was at this point. But here comes along this guy, John, and he says, no, I'm actually going to do it. I'm the prophet of God. There hasn't been a prophet for 400 years in Israel. He says, I'm calling you all to repent. What's it mean to repent? You turn from your pride and your sin and your self-centered lifestyle. And then you go under the water for the forgiveness of sins and you're raised to new life. So this is a, this is a curve jump. This is a brand new innovation. People are coming by the thousands to see John the Baptist. Mark says this in his gospel. He says, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Now, all the people of Jerusalem, you're not talking like a dozen people or like a handful or a hundred. Thousands and thousands of people are leaving the city to go see John. So John's reputation is blowing up, right? His star is rising. This is where they actually call him. They're like, Who, what's his name? John, does he have a last name? Just call him the Baptist. John the Baptist. And there's thousands of people coming to hear John preach. Then they're baptized. Some, some are taking selfies. Hey, John, just together, come here. You'll make quick, you know, kind of thing with him. He's getting all these fans and followers. Now watch this, verse 26. They came to John, his disciples, and said to him, Rabbi, teacher, sign of respect, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, they're referencing Jesus, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing, and everybody's now going to him. And... They're talking here about Jesus because the job of John the Baptist was simply to prepare the role, the way for the arrival of Jesus. And when Jesus came, it was pretty incredible because think about this. Jesus comes and the first thing he does, he says, John, I want you to baptize me. So John baptizes the son of God. I want you to imagine, you know what happens, right? Heaven opens, the Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove and people hear God's voice saying, this is my son, Jesus, who I love. With him, I'm well pleased. Talk about a big deal. John the Baptist basically presides over Jesus' coming out party, right? But then here's the problem. Jesus then goes and sets up shop on the other side of the Jordan. And he starts baptizing people. And it's upsetting to John's followers. They come to him and they say, hey, uh, John, that guy who's with you on the other side, look, he's baptizing in what? Everyone is going to him. Translation, they're no longer coming to us. <laughs> Jesus is stealing our spotlight. John, I, I don't mean to be offensive, but dude, you invented baptism. <laughs> he doesn't even have a name. You're John the Baptist. He's Jesus the carpenter, okay? We do water, he does wood, okay? And now he's like photobombing our ministry. He's drawing followers from us to himself. Now, before you, you know, beat John's disciples with, you know, with a selfie stick here, understand, this is a very human reaction. Because when people start to follow Jesus, it means they unfollow John. Have you ever been unfollowed on social media? Have you had, ever had anybody actually unfriend you, okay? It is awkward. It is unpleasant. It is not a good feeling. You wonder, what did I do wrong, you know? What do you do when the crowd moves on? 
when the buzz dies down and nobody is liking your posts or thumbs up to your pictures anymore, this is the moment that prepares all of us for that moment. When you're not the man anymore, when, when you're not the star, when you're not on stage, all of a sudden, could be at your work, could be when your kids get older, you're, when somebody younger and faster and better than you starts actually getting all the attention at work or school. Here's a guarantee. It will happen to every single one of us someday. Watch this. Watch what John does. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from where? Heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ. Christ means Messiah, the anointed one by God. But I'm sent ahead of him. And then he gives this interesting picture of a wedding. This is the end of the passage. He says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. In other words, John's like, guys, if, if this is a wedding, Jesus is the groom. I'm just the best man. It's not about me. I'm the best man. But now that people are looking at me, I'm saying, hey, everybody, guys, you're looking at me? Great. Now look at him. Look at Jesus and he's like, my job is done. He says, the, the joy, that joy is mine, and it is now complete. And then here's the key verse. I want to read it. Big, loud voice. Everyone together. Ready? He must become greater. I must become less. What is John's MO? What is his modus operandi? What's the attitude that enabled God to actually handpick John and say, in a one-of-a-kind way, I'm going to have you introduce salvation? to the entire world. John pointed to Jesus and he said, he is greater than me. Can we say this? He is greater than me. John's like, take that selfie stick. I am pointing to Jesus. As soon as everybody starts looking at me, I'm gonna point past me to him. That was John's whole purpose of his life. He said, my purpose in life is to point people to Jesus. Turn your cameras, not to me, this way. Because my story is actually for his glory. And when the time was right, when John had maximum exposure, he has fans, he has followers, they're all pressing in. John says, I'm going to step out of the spotlight and onto the sidelines so that Jesus can take center stage. And this is just a beautiful picture, isn't it, of Christian humility. One that is sorely lacking in kind of our selfie obsessed society that screams, look at me, you know, especially when we're killing it. See, it's easy to be humble when you fail, right? But how do you stay humble when God gives you success? In a lot of ways, John the Baptist teaches us how do you survive success? Because nothing tanks a Christ father like success. I know we talk a lot about like, well, how do you survive failure and when things are hard and, and I got to find God and faith. Let's turn the corner. How do you survive success? Because we're all known for being successful at something. Some of you are like, well, I'm not a star. I'm not successful. You may be known, uh, you're, you are a success in some world. Maybe you're a successful parent. And people goes, oh, she's the mother with the daughter on the high honor roll, okay? Or, or she made first chair, you know? Or that's the dude, his son is on the travel team. Or he got the full ride scholarship. I don't, I don't mean to brag, but my kids, they're killing it, <laughs> you know? Or maybe you're killing it at work, right? You're, you know for winning. You got the promotion. Under your leadership, sales grew 15%. You landed the big contract. You earned the bonus. The business is growing. My, my clients even love me. I'm killing it, right? 
or you're killing it, uh, you're successful at social media. People are reading your blog. People are signing up for your podcast. Your website has traffic, thousands of, and thousands of people. Your photography, it's starting to be less of a hobby. You're earning money now, and you have more and more requests, and you're turning people away. See, we're all known for something. We're all successful in some capacity, and nothing's wrong with success. Nothing's wrong with success. People recognize you. you. You have a talent. You get a reputation. In my world, they're, you know, they're successful pastors, right? We just measure different stuff. It's not about money. When pastors get together, they talk about, well, you know, our church is growing by this, or how many people now are coming, or how many people we baptize, you know, or, or in small groups. And that's okay, like on one level. Success is wonderful. I want you to hear this. It's a gift from God, but watch. When you're killing it, when you're killing it, there is a hidden side just waiting to kill you. The big P creeps in. And if you're not careful, what once began, it was a gift from God, becomes all about me. <laughs> They're here to see me. The applause is for me. And something that was given by God as a gift, watch, starts to edge him out. Because we forget what John the Baptist remembers, that he is greater than me. That is the central attitude. This is the heart posture that a follower of Christ must never lose. No matter how successful, no matter how big or prestigious you become, okay, no matter how influential God enables you to be, you must truly believe in your heart. It is not about me. It's all about him. He is greater than me. Would people say that about you? I mean, it's easier said than done. And there are three things here that John kind of teaches us when you experience success. You gotta remember three things. The first thing, if you're taking notes, when it comes to success, John says you gotta remember who it's from and who it's for. I want you to think about him at this moment. He's in the river, thousands of people coming. They're taking selfies. They're, they're putting on social media. They're like hashtag, you know, JTB, John the Baptist, hashtag killing it. Uh, people are lining up. The, not just peasants, the king's coming to see him, right? And all this energy, all this excitement, understand, this was a spiritual revival in Israel. 400 years, nothing's happening. And suddenly John says, I'm now a prophet. And all this energy and all this excitement, and then suddenly it stops. People start, they stop crossing the river to see John and start going to the other side of the river to see Jesus. And of course we all know it's like, well, it's, that would be bad to be jealous of Jesus. But it upsets his followers anyway. They came to John and they said, Rabbi, the guy who was with you, he was with you on the other side, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone's going to him. And to this, John replied, a person can receive only what's given them from where? Heaven. In other words, John's like, whoa, 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 guys, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. All this success, all this fame, all this fortune, all these followers, where do you guys think this comes from? And they're like, dude, you're a pretty good preacher, you know? <laughs> Dude, you eat, like, you know, locusts and wild honey. That's kind of crazy. It's very alternative. And he's like, no, 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 no. Never forget, anything good in my life comes from one place. My Father in heaven. This is how you success, survive success, according to John. You must remember who it's from and remember who it's for. Everything that's been placed in your hands that you have, your possessions, your power, your prestige, all those things that Pastor Nathan talked about last week. Your successful kids, your successful business, everything comes from God, which means God places it there and he can take it away. And when he blesses you with it, you praise God. And when he takes it away, you give credit to God. You do not freak out. 
John the Baptist says, you know what, guys? It doesn't actually rock my world when I lose friends and followers. It doesn't rock my world when I lose customers. Because it's God who gives them to me in the first place. He is greater than me. And he gave me, whatever you do, he gave you this opportunity. He allowed you to be born in this country at this time. He and you're like, well, I worked very, very hard. Uh, you know, I worked hard in school. Who gave you that education? Who gave you that intellect, that ability to relate? Who, who allowed you to meet those people or make those connections? This holds true for whatever you do, whether you're a salesman, whether you're a teacher, you're a stay-at-home parent, if you, if you, you know, entertain others. Who gave you the ability to sing or to speak or create? Who gave you the ability to sell? Who gave you your intellect or your beauty or your family? You have no control over any of that. To this, John says, a person can only receive what's given them from heaven. That's the first key to surviving success. You must remember who it's from and who it's for. And John says, I want to remind you guys, it's all about Jesus. Unfortunately, in the American church, it's increasingly all about me. It's all about me. It is all about you. Now, the greatest collection of me worship ever assembled on one CD. It's all about now I lift my name on high. All 20 songs, all about you. This amazing collection is great to share with friends, if you have any. Everyone can join in the worship with you, for you, and about you because you are unique and you love you. There is none like me. No one else All this can for do only 1995. Like Operators do. are standing by to serve you. And I am why I sing and I am why I live. If you order now, you'll also receive a second CD of Yule Tide Favorites. I sing. No, come Call 1-800-ME-ME-ME or order online at memyselfandi.com Call today because no one can praise you like you. I just threw up in my mouth a little, you know. Lord, I lift my name on high. That's crazy, right? See, the problem with success, when you come of age in a selfie culture, is that when success strikes, people get obsessed with keeping the spotlight on themselves. You know what the problem with the spotlight is? People who spend too much time in the spotlight, they tend to see spots. <laughs> they, they get confused, and they turn it around. They're like, oh, yeah, that's so true. Me is greater than he. Yeah, yeah that's, wait, what? John's like, you got to right-size us. It's, it's he is greater than than me. Incredibly, John kind of stiff arms that definition of ego to edge God out and keep the spotlight on himself. And he says, I'm going to redefine ego for you. What's ego according to John the Baptist? It's exalt God only. Don't take a selfie whenever you're successful. Point to Jesus. He's the groom. You're the best man. You're just a warm-up act. That, that's what he told all those who were coming to see him preach. Look at verse 9. It says, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask John who he was. Because all the leaders see the spiritual energy, this excitement of these people, and they just want to know. They're like, John, are you the chosen one? <laughs> are you the Messiah? Are you the one we should worship? 
That's what the Christ means. It means the Messiah, the saving one. And John's response is classic. He did not fail to confess, but he confessed freely and openly. He says, no, no, no. I am not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. The last book of the Old Testament basically said when God was going to do something new in Israel, he was going to raise up a prophet like Elijah. And so some are like, dude, you're like the second coming of Elijah, man. You're awesome. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. (laughs) And finally they said, well, then who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. Now watch this. Let's read this question. What do you say about yourself? Now this is a big moment. This is the key question facing every follower of Jesus Christ. What do you say about yourself? Not just in church. What do you broadcast to the public? If, if right now, if right now, if I went live and I pulled up your Facebook profile, I, we pulled up your Instagram feed, we looked at your photos, we looked at your pictures and your posts, and, and I said, what do you say about yourself? Let's do that right now. Let's pull someone up randomly. Ready? I'm going to pull up your face. And you're like, what? <laughs> what would it say about you? Does, would it would be like, yeah, his life points to Jesus. Watch this. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, me? I'm just a voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for who? The Lord. John's like, you want to know who I am? Dude, I'm just a road sign. <laughs> I'm just a directional marker. I've drawn all these people to me for one purpose, so I can point them to him. This is who I'm pointing to. My life exists to make Jesus known. That's my purpose, and that's the purpose of every follower of Jesus, to point people to Christ. He greater than me. I want to look past me so that you can see him. Can I ask, when people look at you, do they see Jesus? In whatever arena is that you do nine to five, okay? I saw a great example of this with the, uh, the women's soccer team that just won the World Cup. Can we hear it for the ladies' soccer? That's incredible, awesome, right? Okay, so this girl, I don't know if you know who she is. Her name is Lauren Holiday. She's one of the stars of the women's national team. And uh, she scored the third goal in the 5-2 win over Japan for the World Cup. She's 27 years old. And uh, Holiday's resume includes, she's 27, she's already had one World Cup title, two Olympic gold medals, and a ticket tape you know, parade down the Canyon of Heroes. But what caught my eye in the news uh, this week is something that Holiday said in an interview. The headline actually read this. U.S. soccer star Lauren Holiday on her success. Spotlight is on Jesus, not me. Listen to what she said. She said, success, they said, define success. She said, success is being the best soccer player I can be. But the wonderful thing about loving Jesus, it's not about me. And the spotlight isn't on me. I get to play with freedom because I don't have to worry about if I score or what happens if we lose because success isn't determined on that with Christ. What's so great about the love of God? It's not about you. (laughs) It's not based on your performance. It's the only unconditional love you will truly receive in your life. God loves you not for what you do, but for who you are. He looks at you. He sees what Jesus did on the cross for you, and he says, now you're my son or my daughter. And the pressure's off, so you don't have to worry about performing. And and it's fascinating. In the the article, you should read it. Uh, Holiday talks about it. She goes, I love to win. I love to win. But even if I don't, my identity doesn't change. She says, I'm defined by my relationship with Christ. So whether we win, we lose, victory or loss, I just give God the glory. Incredible humility. For this 27-year-old elite athlete, she was named 2014 Female Soccer Player of the Year. And she said, I know that I've actually been blessed 
for one purpose. Look what she says. I know I wasn't given these talents to be mediocre. God has blessed me abundantly with the ability to play soccer. It's the world's game. And every time I step on that field, I know through my effort and play, I'm glorifying him. He gave me the world stage to share his gospel. And that's what I hope to do. Isn't that cool? Isn't that amazing? You don't see that in the news a lot. But Holiday's basically using her time on the world soccer stage to get point people to Jesus. He is greater than she, okay? Humility's powerful. When people see you succeed on a big stage, but point people to Jesus, it brings God glory. But listen, it also points people to Jesus when we're just humble and we serve behind the scenes. I saw a great example of this with our, uh, our Nutley campus. Can we hear it for our, our uh, Essex County guys? Awesome job, guys. One of the things Nutley did that just caught my attention, a few Sundays ago uh, in, in Nutley, the town hosted this like, big event. and It was right in front of the middle school where we, where we meet. And so they closed off traffic and ate up parking, totally inconvenient, okay, for our worship services. And typically you think, oh, what's the human reaction? Kind of complain, all that kind of stuff. But our Nutley people, they decide to turn it into a win and humbly serve the community. Specifically, our worship leader there, Ryan Dominguez, went completely out of his way after he was finished with worship. He actually took his own drum set out, because they were doing music, they didn't have a drum set, took his own drum set out, reassembled it, and said, here, you guys use it all afternoon. This is a gift for the town. That's incredible. And so the mayor of Nutley actually came to, to, to one of our uh, staff members there and said, hey, I just want to thank you how much and how much we love having Liquid Church in Nutley, in the town of Nutley. That's a win. That is what Christian humility is it looks like an action. When people actually who are outside the church, and they may not believe in Jesus, maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't know about this whole Christian thing. But you know what? When they look at the church and they say, I may not believe in Jesus yet, but I'm sure glad you do. <laughs> because the way you humbly serve him blesses me. <laughs> I actually see Jesus more clearly because of your selflessness. Can I just ask, does your everyday life, your actions, your attitude do that? Does it point people to Jesus? to his humility, to his selflessness? Is he greater than you? Because that's how John approached his role. Look what he says in verse 26. He says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He's the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Meaning I'm not even worthy to be his servant. I can't even hold his shoes, okay? You people came to see me. I'm just the warm-up act, Okay? Jesus is the main stage. Oh, it was at the, uh, whatever it was, Taylor Swift concert, right? It's in giant stadiums, like 60,000 people there. And of course, and one 40-year-old guy, me. Uh, you know, all these 12-year-old girls all screaming about Taylor Swift. And it was kind of funny because the warm-up act comes on. I didn't even know who the guy was. His name's Vance Joy. And he gets out there. He's like, hello, giant stadium. And of course, no one's paying attention, right? And can you imagine if that guy comes out, there's like 60,000 people there, and he's just like, oh, man, they're all here to see me. You know, can you imagine, right? You'd be like, well, you idiot. They're here, obviously, see Taylor Swift. That's, that's what John's saying. He's like, you came to see me? Dude, just wait till you see how great Jesus is. I'm nothing by comparison. What's so great about Jesus? John points to it in verse 29. It says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, look, the Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sin of the world. So here it is. John says, I'm going to point to Jesus. He says, look, there he is. That's the guy. He's the Lamb of God. And that may sound weird to you. You're like, I'm not a farmer. Every Jewish person would have understand what John meant. Every morning and every night in Jewish culture in the first century, a lamb was sacrificed at the temple 
for the sins of the people. And Isaiah said, one day when the true Messiah comes, when the Christ comes, he's going to be led like a lamb to the slaughter. To pay the penalty, to take away the sin of the world, God's going to provide his own sacrifice, his own son, to take away the sin of the world. And that's exactly what happened when Jesus died on the cross. He became the perfect sacrifice. And the sin of the world is pretty inclusive. It includes your sin. <laughs> it includes my sin. And when you repent of that sin, like John teaches us to do, God says, now I can fill you with my Holy Spirit. Because you're humble enough. You've repented of your pride. You've been emptied of yourself. I'm going to fill you with me, with my spirit. But salvation requires humility. That's why John the Baptist is like, compared to Jesus, I'm nothing. If John the Baptist had an Instagram account, if John the Baptist had a Twitter account, if John the Baptist was on Facebook, you know I think his profile would read? <laughs> I think it would be, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who will save anybody. <laughs> That's how John viewed himself. In light of how sinful he was and how great a savior Jesus is, John's like, by comparison, I'm just a nobody I'm trying to tell everybody about somebody who will save anybody. Amen? Does that describe your attitude, the posture of your heart, the purpose of your life? Remember, the whole purpose of your life is to point people to Jesus. And I promise this will change your day-to-day -day interactions. If you start viewing your life the way John the Baptist did, with your eternal purpose in mind, God will just interrupt your daily routine. He did this to me on Wednesday morning. And Wednesday, I'm in town, and I'm at a coffee shop. I'm working on my sermon. If I, I like to be out, like, kind of, you know, in public with people. Just so it, it's just like, just give me a sense where everybody is. And so I'm sitting at this table. It's early in the morning at the coffee shop. And in walks Paul the waiter. Paul the waiter is a guy. He works the pizza shop in town. And he always, he serves our, our family a lot when we go there for pizza. And Paul's kind of fun. He's this kind of flamboyant Latino man. And, uh, and he walks in. And, uh, you know, he's always like, he's like, who ordered eggplant rollatini? You know, kind of like that. My son thinks he talks like Jar Jar Binks. But, like, we, we like Paul. He's always serving us, you know, whatever. So he's in early morning getting his coffee before he goes to work. And honestly, I'm like, oh, no. And so I pull down my hat. I'm embarrassed to tell you. Because, I, like, I didn't want to get involved in the whole conversation, you know, kind of. You've had that moment, right? I'm just, I'm just be honest with you, okay? It's a very human moment. And I'm like, I don't really feel like engaging in conversation. But then I see him just, and, and our, like, eyes lock. And I'm like, uh, oh, here, hi, you know? And I, and I cut, he starts walking over to me, and I'm like, I'm working on this sermon, you know, about humility. I can't be bothered. And, <laughs> right? It's human moment. And so I'm like, okay, close my laptop. And I'm like, hey, you know, Paul, how's, how's it going, man? He's always so up. He just goes, not well, not well. I'm like, okay, here we go. I was like, what, what's going on? He says, my four nieces, I won't do his accent. He says, all right. He's like, my four nieces were in a car accident after their graduation. I said, I am so sorry. Where, where this happened? He said, back in Mexico, they had an accident, and, and, and he's downcast. And I said, you know, well, are they okay? He goes, two of them died. And he starts sobbing, just like those, <laughs> that kind of thing. And here's that moment, right? <laughs> it's 8.30 a.m. We're out in public. It's Wednesday morning. This guy's breaking down in front of me. And what do you do as a follower of Jesus, right? This is that moment. I'm just like, Oh, I, I, know it. I just wrap my arms around him, and I hug him, and he just starts convulsing like deep sobs into my shirt. Now it's getting all over my, the snot's getting on my shirt and all this kind of <laughs> stuff, you know. But I just held on to this guy, and then I actually started crying for him. I was like, Did, "Can I just pray for you?" He goes, "Yes, please pray." And we pray right there on the spot, and you know. And then he just said, "He goes, you know, I, he goes, you're, I know you are religious. You're like a priest or something." 
And, uh, <laughs> and uh, he goes, do you think they're in heaven? And so we started talking about heaven. And we talked about heaven for about 45 minutes. And the hope that you can have in knowing Jesus, that that is actually the way you get to heaven. And it's just this beautiful moment of just ministry with him. Of me, I, he's a waiter always serving our family. Of, of us just serving him. And I, I went back to writing the message. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. If I had just been fixated on doing my thing, writing my sermon, I would have missed this Holy Spirit moment. I had to remember, what? Who am I? <laughs> I'm just a nobody <laughs> trying to tell everybody about somebody who will save anybody. See, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less and the needs of others more. That's where the word humility comes from. The root word is hummus. Do you guys ever have hummus? Hummus means of the earth. It means you're grounded. It's where you get the word human, humor. You're actually grounded. You can laugh at yourself. You don't take yourself too seriously, but you take God and others very seriously. It's what Tim Keller calls blessed self-forgetfulness. Because you walk through life and you actually don't care anymore how you look. Because the Holy Spirit has set you free. You actually live for heaven's applause, not the applause of man. See, every person in this room, you have two purposes day to day. You have an earthly purpose, what you do nine to five. But then you have this higher eternal purpose. How do you point people to Christ? How do you leverage your, your platform? And the idea is to use one for the benefit of the other. So take your work. If I ask, what do you do? What's the purpose of, you know, of what you do nine to five? Your purpose may be to sell. You sell pharma, you sell cars, whatever. But your eternal purpose is to point your coworkers to Jesus. That's why you lead a Bible study at lunch. Or take your marriage. Your earthly purpose may be, my earthly purpose is to love and serve my wife. But your eternal purpose is to point people to Jesus through the way you treat her. That's why when the hiccups come and there's a problem, you say, I'll go to marriage counseling with you. It's not just your problem. I'll go. I'll hunt. That takes humility, right, guys? It takes humility. But you're like, when people look at our little marriage, I want them to see the big marriage. Christ, his wedding with us. If you're a parent, your earthly purpose may be to, you know, well, you know, raise healthy, well-adjusted kids who can hopefully read and write, you know, and be productive members of society, not just on video games. That's your earthly purpose. But your eternal purpose is actually to point your children to Jesus through the way they watch you love and serve them. So that's why you don't come home and don't just turn on the TV or veg on the couch or do your projects. You actually... Help with their homework. You run to Office Max at night, right? You know, to go get stuff for their project. You share the load because that takes humility to put your kids ahead of yourself on your to-do list. See, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less and the needs of others more. It is liberating to serve others and glorify Christ, even in difficult circumstances. Let me tell you, um, a woman in our church was going uh, through a divorce recently uh, true story. Her husband, uh, you know, she started having an affair after 20 years of marriage. Just devastating, obviously. She tried to reconcile, but it was clear that he wasn't interested in saving the marriage. And so she began to fight fiercely, convinced that he was going to pay for what he had done to her. She lawyered up, right? That's what people do. She's like, I'm going to dig in for the duration. But in the process, she was in one of our life groups. The Lord began to work on her heart and remind her of his great unconditional love and forgiveness for her. And she's like, the Holy Spirit revealed that she was trying to exact revenge and get him to pay for what he's done when she realized that Jesus actually paid for her sins on the cross. And incredibly, this is incredible. This shows you how practical it is. She walked into her next mediation session. She says, I was a different woman. And I asked my ex humbly for his forgiveness. 
And she goes, everybody was shocked. The lawyers are like, what is this? What, what is happening right now? The soon-to-be ex-husband, because normally she came in guns blazing. And many of her friends said, you're crazy. You know, after all, you're the injured party. You're in the right. He's in the wrong. And they said, you got to look out for yourself. He can't be trusted. But she said, I knew in my heart that the Lord actually would care for me. I'm trusting him to judge. And my job is to point to Jesus. So in effect, she actually surrendered and just stopped fighting. Now, listen, this is incredible. The husband was so astonished that he actually stopped fighting, and they came to a settlement very quickly. Now, listen, they still divorced, okay? They still divorced. But because she humbled herself, because she took the low place, the finances and the custody actually are no longer an issue. When she needs money, not, not wants him to suffer, he gives it readily. When you hear it, it's, it's a weird thing to say, but if ever there was like a Christ-honoring divorce, this was it. <laughs> it's incredible to me to see how God moved. And she's like, I am now praying that my ex-husband will repent and give his life to Christ. And he's like, I'm actually open to it. Why? Because her humility was attractional to him. That's the power of humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less and God and others more, even in difficult circumstances. And guys, that's the definition of greatness in God's eyes. To be humble like John the Baptist. You move towards people and you point them to Jesus with your love. This is so practical, guys. It can transform your family, transform your home, your work, all your key relationships. He is greater than me. You know what happens? I'll close with this. You know what happens when there's less you and more Jesus? More Jesus equals less drama, less selfishness, less complaining, less bitterness. More Jesus means less gossip, less anger, less pride, less me. Less doesn't mean that you diminish your personhood or it mutes your personality. It means you actually become more and more of what God originally intended when he created you in the first place. When you are emptied of yourself, there is more room to be filled with his spirit, more room for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. The humility of Christ comes out. Wouldn't that, doesn't that sound good? Wouldn't you like to be known as like a humble person? I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, man, I, yeah, I'd like to be humble. But what if nobody notices? You know, like, <laughs> I, I know what you're thinking. The, the answer is God notices Listen to me. Close with this. John became less and less. Jesus' ministry grew and grew. But do you know what Jesus said of John the Baptist in the end? He said, I tell you the truth. Of all who have ever lived, none is what? Greater than John the Baptist. In other words, when you take the humble position, God says, now I can exalt you. Because you are empty, I can fill you. I can actually now use you again and again and again when you decline the praise of man and you give glory to Christ, you get the applause of heaven. You crucify the big P and you come alive to Christ. And one day, listen, one day when you get to heaven, can you imagine hearing these words? Well done, good and faithful servant. You killed it. That's the purpose of your life. That's the purpose of your life. So I want to close the series by challenging you right now to broadcast a different message to your friends and followers. I, I, I know I touched on social media a bunch today. And I want to challenge you to send a, a positive message to all of your friends and followers this summer, okay? In your program notes today, we printed a photo square for you to put on social media. We put a little fancy background because we know you're prideful. But it says, he greater than me. It's okay. It's all right. It's summer, you know, kind of thing. And all you have to do, what you do right now is just take your phone, right, and you take a picture of this, 
and use this as your profile picture on social media. Make it, I, I put this on my Facebook profile, but think about it because all of the self-absorption on social media right now, all the hate, all the nonsense, can you post a positive message that actually points people to Jesus? Imagine this. Secondly, on social media, they typically give you one or two lines to kind of describe yourself. And, you know, whenever I read people's bios, it's just what people write. You know, they're like, I'm a Harvard-trained life coach who likes long walks on the beaches. How about this one? I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who will save anybody. Just rip off John the Baptist's profile, okay? And finally, here's a tweet for all you Twitter uh, verse people out there. You can tweet this one. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. That's a reminder we can all use every day, amen? If you don't have social media, I see some of you sitting there. You're still like, why does he have a golf club up there? I don't, like, I don't know. Just write it on a post-it note. Stick it on your cubicle, okay? For Jesus to increase, we must decrease. It really is all about him, amen? Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father God, thank you, thank you for coming. Lord of the universe comes as a humble servant. God, your love is beautiful. It's so humble. It's so counterculture, God. We need it more than ever. God, I think of what our nation could be. What could America be if we humbled ourselves and cried out to you? You would do, you would do a revival. I believe we'd see a revival here, Father God. Let us be, let that revival start in the heart of each person now who's under the sound of my voice. I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to them, Father, unearth these hidden splinters of pride that we all have, and Father, pull them out right now, I ask. I ask for the Holy Spirit, Lord, as we recommit ourselves to making much of Jesus, we take ourselves less seriously and take you very seriously, God, because that's how the world will see you, through the love and through the lives of your followers. We ask all the glory to go to your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name, everybody said together, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.